Well, this is why we love this stuff, because you go in thinking Santos is the runaway favorite. The tournament is so, so condensed, the action so fast, the aggregates so impressive, and Monterey does the impossible. I, the impossible? I mean, look, I was the one who said, oh, I don't think Monterey's the oh, Monterey really is the only team that's not going to make it out of the first round. I, I didn't think that the change of coach and their hot win streak was really going to carry them through. I thought Santos was was too good, but you know, that's that is the joy of Mexican soccer. You have no idea what's going to happen. You know, the joy to me and you just mentioned it, the change of coach. It's just so awesome to see Guy Fieri now with this opportunity to coach in Liga MX. Dude, let's get out that donkey sauce. Welcome to Sound System FC. I'm Lawrence Scott with Bo Byerly and Mohamed. Donkey sauce. No, Mohamed. We, we give him his fair due because he really has brought a spirit to the Monterey side as they now are set to uh, enter the semifinal phase of this little league. And Nakaxa is what's in store, Bo. But we'll talk about League MX in full force here in just a second. But the Ballon d'Or, six times for Lionel Messi and, you know, we both think the same way in many regards about this. He's the greatest. He should win it. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, the, the six wins, you know, I mean, last year you had Modric, which I thought was the, you know, this is what happens with these MVP type awards is, you know, people want to get creative, you know, oh, well, you know, I mean, Luca had a great year. He's a good guy. He was on this, you know, he was on the Croatia. Well, of course, he's on the Croatia team. He's Croatian. But, I mean, you know, they did well in the World Cup. And, you know, he contributes. And I, I don't know. You got to just pick the best player. And, you know, I mean, the greatest player ever. I mean, we should have this conversation one day. You know, I still buy into the idea that it's Maradona, even with all of his issues. But, I mean, it, it could easily be messy. Uh, but... Right now, Messi is the best player. Ronaldo is still up there. And then it's it's still everybody else. I mean, I know that's like the simplest analysis you could ever make. But honestly, it's I, I look at it this way. If you watch Barcelona play, in 80% of the games, the best player in that game is Lionel Messi on either team. He makes the most plays. He's the most dynamic player. And like, it's not even like the NBA where, you know, hey, James Harden's going to score 800 points this game or blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, Steph Curry really contributes as like a team leader. And d- d- no, Messi is the best player, no argument, on the field 75, 80% of the time. And, I, you know, I mean, so that's, that's the ball on door. I mean, they should. Maybe they should suspend it. Maybe they should change it to the most interesting player of the year. Uh, maybe we should be all sitting around waiting to see who gets the Puska. But, yeah, Ballon d'Or, I don't know, Lawrence. I mean, what do you see? I mean, do, are we not giving the Premier League its due? I mean, it is the the big money league. Should we put more weight on people like Mo Salah or Virgil van Dijk or... Somebody like that? Well, Mohamed Salah, you know, for the past couple of years, you certainly could say should be in this conversation. I totally agree with that. And when you also think of how some leagues, like the NBA, looks at the MVP as the best player who helps their team be the best, that really doesn't apply here because there's so many different leagues that we're talking about. And then 
the best in the world. I mean, on the female side, uh, Megan Rapino with the uh, U.S. national team for the women, like she was standout, uh, exemplary. They win. That's, that all makes sense, right? In, in this case, it makes sense because Messi is so transcendent. But I guess the bigger point, you were just making it a little bit ago about how who, who would be the best ever. I, you know, sports also like to do this Mount Rushmore concept of who's the Mount Rushmore. I mean, for, so for you, Bo, well, but, so but if you had to do four, right, because there's four people on Mount Rushmore, but if you had to pick four, whatever that number is now four because it's Mount Rushmore, who would the four Mount Rushmore be for you in soccer? Well, I'm going to contradict time? myself. In, in, in the uh, Speaking of the Mount Rushmore, in the Mount Rushmore of sports talk pundits, uh, I'm going to do what they all do. I'm going to contradict myself and say that while there is a romanticism about me saying Maradona is the greatest of all time, if I'm to pick the four best soccer players of all time, they would be Messi, Ronaldo, Mbappe, and hmm, I guess, yeah, as much as I dislike him, Neymar. Because honestly, we have these things where we hearken back to a past time and say, oh, well, what if they played now? If they played now, they would get crushed because athletes are so much better now. They're so fine-tuned. The nutrition, the fitness level, the workouts, the data that they use to understand the game. I don't think you, if you took any team right now and let them play a team from 30 years ago, 50 years ago, they would crush them. There would be there would be no competition. Well, because the Mount Rushmore is based in a historical context, I'm going to have to just say for soccer, uh, Messi, Pele, Maradona, and Ronaldo with room to etch off Ronaldo and perhaps one day <laughs> add Mbappe to that spot. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I, I mean, that's fair. Let's see what happens. Uh, but like I said, this whole Mount Rushmore thing, I think the thing is is that sports, every year it gets better. Every year athletes get better. So it's, it's, it's even harder to – you know, I know sports like baseball are great because it's so stat-heavy that you can look. And, and, and that's great fun. You know, when, when I was a kid and with baseball cards, it was great fun, like, sitting there and seeing, like – Oh, is Fred Lynn better than oh, Fred Lynn? That's weird. I'm just picking out random Red Sox. I love but, you know, Fred Lynn. You're actually picking the yeah. one I'm going to relate to the most. I actually have a Fred Lynn bat, like one oh, of his yeah. actual bats. Like I was a huge Fred Lynn fan, so that's nice you did that. But, you inadvertently but, I mean, you know, you did something I, nice. There. I mean, that's fun. That's the fun of baseball is stats, right? But soccer is something that's that goes beyond stats because there's only you know so many stats that matter. Um, so yeah, it's it is interesting, but the Ballon d'Or, it's still a good conversation starter. We're talking about it, right? But to me, that conversation, at least for the next couple of years, leads back to the exact same thing, which is Lionel Messi is the best player in the world and should win it until he retires. What's the overall purpose of the Ballon d'Or? I mean, is what's the overall purpose of any of these awards? No, I mean, but, what, but, but I mean, this you know, one like specifically because I mean, something like the Walter Camp Award in the NFL. I mean, there's a specific purpose to encourage great community approach this is, it's in a their writer's, markets. It's a, it's a writer's award. I mean, it's a French. I, there was a while there where it was combined with the FIFA Player of the Year. Um, you know, it's a writer's award. It's a French press, not the coffee. Writer's <laughs> Award. Um, 
but I mean, what's the point of any of these awards? You know, I mean, MVP of any league, uh, you know, the Heisman Trophy. They're great for debate, right? It's it's a fun and it's a and it's a way for whatever organization is handing out the award to kind of up their status or you know create some kind of excitement. But honestly, and I do believe this when these players say that the only thing that matters to me is winning whatever it is, the Champions League or their respective league cups or a World Cup. Like I really do buy into that because. You know, I mean, the Ballon d'Or. Yeah, Messi loves to win it. Ronaldo, of course, loves to win it because he does like to point out that he is an amazing soccer player. But in the end, you know, the only the only trophies that really matter are the team ones because this is a team sport. All right. So uh, Ballon d'Or put aside now to the stuff that really is exciting us, and that is these semifinals in Liga MX and uh, America versus the Monarchs, a 6-7 matchup. That still very exciting, and really the one I'm looking most forward to seeing is Monterey continuing. They've got a seven-game win streak going as Antonio Mohamed has come in to really make a different vibe, I guess, around Monterey that seems to be working as they moved Santos out of the tournament and now will face Nacaxa, the team that was really at the top of the standings for a good portion of the Apertura, and now a 5-8 matchup with Nacaxa and Monterey, and wouldn't you look at this particular matchup, we'll do uh, America and Morelia in just a second. But when you look at Nacoxa Monterey, what are you looking for here in this two game series? Nacoxa, I I love watching them. Uh, at the beginning of the year, they were kind of my favorites. Uh, now I still say it's it's Club Americas to win, and we'll go to that in a second. But uh, I mean, Nacoxa to me is I I think they're the I think they're going to beat Monterey. But I have been super impressed with Monterey. I mean. Well, Lawrence, you were watching that uh, Monterey Santos, those two matches. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> they are really because Santos is a good team. I mean, Santos wasn't like you know this is not you know you can't fake your way through uh, a 19 game season and do as well as Santos did and be you know a hollow team. Oh, like, you they know, were really quality. Yeah, Furch and Lozano were tremendous this season, and it just you know in a two game series to open up uh, playoffs. You know, that that didn't really happen for them. And, I mean, give Monterey the most credit in the way they just picked Santos apart. And just then, in the game where they had had the uh, strong lead, just kind of suffocated it. I mean, they, they just did what it took. And, you know, Monterey, with Nacoxa being what they were this season, knows that they want this to continue. I, I, I guess I, I'm hoping to see something that was exciting as the first game between Monterey and Santos, where it, it just seemed like, let's just go all out. And and, and yeah. Monterey was just spectacular that way. With a 4-4-2, it was spectacular. Yeah, but I mean, Quiroga for Nacoxa, I like to watch him because to me, he's kind of just one of those... I don't even know how to describe his play as a striker, as a forward, as a goal scorer. It's not pretty, but that it, he's the Tim Hardaway of uh, hmm. of soccer. You know, <laughs> it's not pretty, but deadly. Like he gets it done. He has the killer and crossover. He's the killer crossover. Uh, that was right. That was Tim Hardaway with the ugly but deadly. The the uh, the jump shot. Um, yeah, I like it. I like that. You know. Nick Cox is sometimes throwing five in the back. 
it, it'll it'll be interesting to see how they kind of slow Monterey because Monterey is playing inspired football. Um, you know, that's the fun part of, of Mexican league soccer. You have a short season and then, you know, a short league, and then you quickly go into this very condensed playoff and it's all about being on a roll. And, you know, Nicoxa was on a roll at the first of the year. Now Monterey's on a roll. Uh, but I, I still think that Nicoxa, you know, they're not, they don't want to waste this season, right? They don't want to waste this. Monterey has won recently. They've played very good soccer over the last couple of years. Nacoxa has two, but they don't have the trophies to show it. And, and I think that's what's going to push them forward uh, into the finals is, is that idea that this is, this is new ground for these players. And they know how to win. Uh, they proved it at the beginning of the year. And I, and I think that, that Kiroga and the rest of the boys will, will get it done. But it's going to be close. It's going to be one of those where... I don't, the aggregates were so high. I don't think we're going to see like five to four games in the second round. I think I think they're going to do a little bit better job of shutting down the defenses. Well, or shutting down as defenses. In the other side of things, uh, Marilia had taken out Club Leon uh, and the uh, Kings of Leon, uh, you know, showing well in the regular season of the Apertura. But uh, it's great to see that uh, Scooby-Doo will be in the stands for yet another series here as he follows around Shaggy Martinez. But uh, Morelia riding a lot of confidence. And, you know, there's sort of a surge there, but they are running into the club that you favor the most in all this, and that is America, who, you know, moved Tigris out of the competition. And, you know, as the reigning champs, Tigris folded. But you shouldn't expect anything less, really, from Club America. No, but I think the win against Tigris shows something because... Again, I go back to this. This is my crutch. Though the league is so short, the season is so short. But because the season is so short, you can actually look back at last year and gain some knowledge from what's going on. And Tigris was such a good team last year, and they played well this year, that America playing like they did, coming back, winning in aggregate. Uh, you know, I when they made the move for Ochoa, and it's not that I think that Ochoa is – Heads and tails, the best goalie in Liga MX. Uh, I think he's the best, but I don't think it's one of these deals where you know he's just way more dynamic and way better than everybody else in the league. And, uh, but I think when they made that move, I think that showed the fact that America was all in this season to do something, you know. And this is when they make their run. And the fact that they were in the sixth seed didn't bother them. Uh, playing Tigris didn't bother them. Now they're playing the seventh seed. Um, but I don't think they're going to lose focus. You know, this isn't a trap game. That's the nice part about this. These uh, these playoffs being so short is the fact that I you, you don't really have to worry about your team losing interest. You know, or the fans losing interest. I mean, that's the other thing that's so awesome about this is, I mean, in two rounds of playoffs here, it's going to take place in the span of like 10 days. I mean, that that's really exciting. Yeah, other than the uh, other than the fact that if Monterey goes forward, that the Club World Cup or the Club World Championship or however mm-hmm. they you know they, mm-hmm. they call it you mm-hmm. know, other than the fact that that will uh, interfere and delay the playoff, uh, and it would only delay it a little bit, uh, you know, it happens so fast. You know, by January first, we're going to be talking about the second season. 
you know, the closing season, the closing league. It, it makes uh, this month so, exciting. And, and, and you're right. Uh, the Rayados, if they um, do continue, you're, you're right. It would be postponed till around Christmas, December 26th and December 29th, as they head to Qatar in between for that Club World Cup. Yeah, you know, I really wish, and just a quick aside here, um, the the Club World Cup or the, the Club Championship, I, I really wish that that was a little bit better planned. And I don't know how it could be, but I, I think that the teams from North America and the teams from South America are really put at a disadvantage. And I, and I know the European teams sometimes mail it in, I mean, Liverpool will probably not play, uh, at least in their uh, semifinal match. You know, they're not going to be full strength. Uh, I know Madrid did that a couple of times when they would when they would win in Europe. But you know, when you have teams like Flamingo and you have you know these teams from Liga MX, I, I just I wish there was it was more than an afterthought. And the fact that it is an afterthought, like maybe or maybe it should just go away. You know, or maybe it should be a you know every other year situation kind of like you know the way they do the european national cup um to put a little bit more emphasis on it because i think a lot of times it's 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 an afterthought but it does affect these teams i mean i'm sure jürgen klopp would would agree with me well yeah speaking of jürgen klopp uh taking a commanding lead right now in the premier league and uh much action to be played in the next couple of weeks and when we tape again we'll have a detailed Premier League breakdown because so much happening with uh, caretaker managers now at Arsenal with the uh, exit yeah, of Unai Emery yeah. and uh, you got Mourinho. I said Sunday. Yeah, said it, Sunday. You, you nailed it. You he nailed didn't even it. make it the Sunday. He didn't even make it the Sunday. You call, you, you um, invoked you too, if, if I remember correctly. I did, For uh, even though nobody's Irish. Um, it's Yeah, I mean, the thing about the Premier League is, is it's always topical. You could always drone on and on and on about it but you know what we're in the middle of the season like let's see what happens over the next 10 games before we've decided that man city is dead on arrival that liverpool is the greatest team in the history of english soccer and you know and and i still think you know i think what's most interesting is the fact that you know tottenham's surge with jose has moved them so quickly into the race of the top four um, it also kind of shows me that maybe the Premier League isn't as premier as it pretends to be. Like, you know, maybe it is just, maybe it's, I mean, why is it, why is it just not Italian soccer with two good teams and a third that's kind of, eh, you know, but we'll see, we'll see how it shakes out over the next, next five or 10 games. I think that gives you a much better idea, uh, in the race for fourth. Uh, yeah. Liverpool's up enough that I think they will finish it out and and be in first place but you know it's it's hard to say that uh this far away from the end of the league well of course that's still in season obviously but it's the off-season news that we'll talk about on the other side here Bo, as the mls enters a critical off-season to get on the same page of the players association and the owners this league is expanding there's some growing pains but uh working together to divide it up equally and evenly is what we should be talking about on the other side as mls off-season news becomes a collective bargaining discussion and we'll have that here on sound system fc workers of the world unite and welcome back to sound system fc you know it was great talking about 
Liga MX, but there is another league in North America uh, that we really need to talk about because this is when all you can do is talk about it. Nobody's playing games, but MLS, Lawrence, it's becoming a broken record. What does MLS got to do to get over the hump? Oh, they're just, they're right there. They're about to be, uh, you know, it's about to be this. It's about to be that. I mean, tell me, what, what are your thoughts about the upcoming collective bargaining agreement and, and how this shakes out to really kind of push MLS into the forefront of American sports leagues? It's such tricky timing because the television contract that they have, which uh, is paying out like a $90 million term, expires, I believe, in 2022. So they're dealing with something before the real money would come in. And then the question is, what's the real money? Because we were talking Liga MX because we're watching it. And, you know, I'm enjoying the FS2 coverage that they had of uh, Santos and Monterey in both of those games. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, the viewership for the MLS really and truly is Univision, you know, and you're seeing how that has played into what the available rights are for television contracts. Local TV contracts don't apply really at all for MLS. I mean, they want it on TV to drum up interest in a local market, get people out to these um, stadiums. And and really, the fan experience is tremendous. I, I love going to Avaya Stadium to check out Earthquakes games. I mean, it's a great environment. You talk to people all around the country. I was talking to somebody from Kansas City the other day, and they, they love going out to sporting games. And folks... But that's uh, the problem. But they it's, love going. It's an event. It's an, it's an event, right? These things are just... I mean, it's almost like MLS games are almost like standalone events. Um, and... It, you know, I don't know if that really makes sense. Let me try to delve into that a little bit more. But it seems to be like they're so busy trying to sell this fan experience, which they're doing a good job of selling it. And when you get to the stadium, it is an enjoyable experience. But it's not exciting for TV. And it's not they're not pushing to TV. And the stories of the players are not being told in a way that makes me want to follow teams that I can't go see. You know, if you live in said city, uh, you know, if you live in Atlanta, you know the United players. You know, you you probably watch them on TV when they're not at home. You go down to the stadium and watch. I mean, that's a very safe way for these teams to make money. But the ratings are not great. And that's where all these other leagues make so much money is on television rights. And the MLS is just not a good TV show. I mean, that's honestly what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing here is the growth of everything. And it is that Inter-Miami is coming in and then Nashville are coming in. And you've got all of these teams now blowing up Austin coming soon. And the, the, the question starts becoming, we're getting to a point where there are so many teams and there's logistics that have to be managed. And, you know, we, we talked about this before about charter flights. These folks do fly commercially on some trips. That's, 
you know, kind of long distances, this isn't maybe something that should be meted out during a collective bargaining agreement session, because it really is up to each individual team to say, no, we prefer our players to be well rested and not have to, you know, run through TSA security. We want to do it at, you know, the FBO and have, you know, duffels in our hands as we get on, (laughs) you know, our charter flights and go into, you know, an easier way to travel that will then be more conducive to proper sleep schedules and that sort of thing to make the team better. That should be on the team. And these are the sort of things that are coming up in the collective bargaining aspect of things. It's really free agency that needs to be minded here at this point and opening that up sooner, perhaps. And it's also just how do you look at what the available revenue is and split it fairly? And and, and TV uh, not performing well is kind of the problem here. Yeah, I mean, look, there's two ways to go, I guess. You know, the problem is, is that your sample size is so small because there's only so many professional sports leagues that are successful in the world, right? But you have the NFL way, the communist way, and I say that as an endearing term, but the idea that, like, you know, the league is what carries it, right? And um, because of that, you have parity, and everybody gets to enjoy the riches. Uh, However, the NFL makes a lot of money. So it's easy to be like that, you know, just because it's like two billion yep. a year from AT&T DirecTV because of repackaging things that the networks have already all paid for and licensed themselves. Yeah, it's I amazing. Mean, look, the yeah, I mean, stream. so, 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 yeah, it's always you can never make wrong decisions when you have a bottomless pit of money, which is the NFL. Uh, the idea of making the teams more self-sufficient instead of the league is interesting to me because then you start to be able to create these teams that maybe become so dynamic and so interesting that it could drive the popularity of the league. Um, look, French soccer has been around forever, so this is again, it's a tough, it's a tough analogy to make. But the idea that PSG is a worldwide brand, even though they dominate their their league. I mean, if you look at Inter Miami, if you were just to give David Beckham just you know total freedom. Right, he didn't have to play within the sandbox that is the MLS rules, and they went out and they got some really just super dynamic big name players beyond just one. If they got like three, if they had a team that was like a super team that just, if they had Cavani and Suarez, right? If they had, you know, I know those guys are older, but I mean they would dominate the MLS. You know, is is that what the MLS needs? I mean, to make it so exciting that you're like. Oh, I got to see this team. I mean, that's what the MLS needs. They keep on expanding and expanding and expanding. And it's like they're trying to build this grassroots love of just like, well, everybody's got an MLS team. Why doesn't everybody watch the MLS? Well, it's too diluted. That's the problem. You know, if you could have one of these teams be so, you know, good enough that like they would go and they would compete in these kind of, you know, even if it was friendlies, but if they would go and compete with teams in Europe and, and, and create some excitement. You know, if you think about it in the college football terms, and I know jokingly I've said before that if you compare everybody as a college football league, uh, that the MLS is high school football. But let's just say that they are, you know, a, what is it? There's the Power Five, and then what do they call the rest of the the, the conferences? And, and FB. Uh, I never get to FBS or FBC. Yeah, whatever. Like, yeah. Well, no, no, it's always FB. Whatever. So we need a team in the MLS to be the Boise State. All right, we need a team in the MLS for people to look to and say, like, if that team had the opportunity to play in Europe, it would win games. 
You know, that was always – not that Boise State actually did that. Like, they beat Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl, and, you know, that went a long way. But if the MLS could create a team that was dominant enough and good enough that people would be like, oh, what if they played – I mean, look, you have River and Boca, you know, in Argentina, right? You have, you know, Flamingo right now in Brazil. and People are like, oh, that could be the best team in the world. It's not. We all know it, but at least we can fantasize about it because, you know – they they did such a good job that you in your mind could believe there's maybe a universe where they could beat a Liverpool or a Real Madrid or a, a PSG, right? You're not going to believe that right now about an MLS team because they're all just so interchangeable. Oh, Seattle, oh, Kansas City, oh, blah, blah, blah. Like if there was a team in the MLS that just came out and crushed everybody and you were like, God, this team is so good that they could compete with Barcelona – uh, we know that's probably not true, but at least we could imagine that. All right, that's entertainment. Sports is entertainment, right? You have to entertain people. That's why it's on TV. It's entertaining. All right, and so you know that's what I want to see on TV. I want to see this team. I want to capture this team's essence. And and I just don't see the MLS doing that because they're too busy trying to float all boats and they're trying to do this NFL type of you know collective bargaining and they just don't have the money. They just don't have the interest. Well, I'll tell you, I'll paint you a nice picture that is in South Florida. And and let's try to envision that this could be reality. Because I believe that LAFC had the intention when they came in to you know, bring in top flight talent and get the best of the MLS to go with the Carlos Vela and really infuse in a you know, community sense with the way that the Bank of California Stadium was built and the fan base that they have, the 3252, bringing all that together and then trying to take things up, not just immediately to MLS, but onto a national scale. But the way that David Beckham worked his deal to come to LA and play for Galaxy and then be given the opportunity to bring a team somewhere new and fresh, players will want to play in Miami. This all comes together. What LAFC would like to do ideally may eventually happen, but I think it could happen really fast. What you're thinking of here is a team from the MLS being of international prominence of some point, and I think that could be Inter-Miami. Because, but you mentioned Suarez earlier. What if that's the landing spot? There's a lot of things that could be very, but very big in Miami than, it soon. Needs, it needs to be more than one player. It needs to be more than Zlatan or Suarez or Cavani or David Beckham. It's always one guy. But you don't think that Beckham himself could consolidate that in South Florida? I don't know if he has the money. I don't know if the, the confines of the MLS will allow him to go out and get, I mean, look at the best teams in the world. They have just, they have guys tripping over each other. They have so many good players. I'm not asking for Barcelona where, you know, five guys on the field at any time could be considered the 20 best players in the world and five of them are on the same team. Uh, I'm just asking for two. Well, I mean, here's the point. Carlos Vela is amazing, but could you imagine Carlos Vela and Zlatan if they were on the same team? Like, then that would have been a dynamic team enough to, and then they just crush everybody in the MLS, and then everybody's like, oh, but I mean, they, I mean, they don't have the money to do that. And it's not that LAFC themselves can't make enough money to pay the players or enter Miami and David Beckham. Can, it's because of the fact that MLS is is in the players' association, and I support the players. That the players need to get more money. The players need to be on charter flights. But the problem is, is trying to do it through the league where everybody makes the same. You know, everybody has the same. Uh, floor and the same ceiling, I don't know if that's going to work 
it, when it comes to trying to make an entertaining league to watch on television. I hear you loud and clear. I'm wondering if the solution there might be the way that Beckham's role at Galaxy led to an understanding that there would be some help to bring him into an ownership role within the MLS. What if the star players are cut in as owners and are given equity and shares, and that's why they would come play for an Inter-Miami, for instance? I, I don't know that that's their plan. I don't know if that's even feasible, but I, I will say maybe that's the next frontier. It's not sponsorships like you see in other sports for the top, top, top athletes that give them that boost in salary. Maybe it's equity. Maybe that's what we'll do, what we're talking about here. That's, and, and that's not happen. a bad idea, but there's two other things, and, and you know, not to go down the rabbit hole, but there's two other things that really need to happen that won't, but they should. One is, is there needs to be relegation and promotion. Uh, there's just too many teams, and that really waters down the competition, you know. If you only had 20 teams, I think it would be a better league. I think the battle to get into the top 20 would create... Look, the stands are already packed in most respects, in some respects. I think relegation really does a lot to solidify uh, who the best teams are. You also have the ability that if a team gets relegated, then their best player maybe goes to a team that, you know, like it just does a better job because you're not spreading the talent over, you know, 107 teams or whatever they're trying to expand to in the MLS. The second thing that needs to happen is the seasons don't match up. Playing this opposite season because you're trying to compete or not compete with NFL football and college football is to me short-sighted like these things can work together and if MLS played the same season as everybody else they wouldn't be seen as something different they would be seen as something the same I mean look Liga MX does their own little setup but it still follows the calendar right soccer starts here it ends here I mean it is a year-round sport but like you know the season kind of progresses the highlights the high points of the season are still roughly at the same times uh, it works better with the international breaks it works better with the World Cup it works better with everything else um, if MLS could could have that schedule I think that would give them uh, at least a little bit more parity in the rest of the world. It would give them a, a, they wouldn't, like I said, be seen as this outside league. I mean, they're basically like treated like indoor soccer or beach soccer or some other kind of offshoot of, re here's regular soccer, and then there's that American league. It's like it's not seen as like, you know, the rest of the world. And I think that's a problem when you're trying to establish it in the rest of the world i mean you're already saying that yeah they're some of the best ratings in television come from the spanish language channels you know that we need to make a bigger impact in the rest of the world and right now we're not seen as the same kind of league because we don't play by those rules and i again i don't think that playing during the nfl or the college season uh the football season against mls soccer i i think those things could could coexist because you know depending on the timing of the games you know I don't see a lot of people that are diehard. I have to watch any, every NFL football game being the kind of fan that, you know, cares about MLS no matter what time of the year it's on, right? But there are people like me who are sports fans who enjoy all different types of games. And, you know, I can wake up in the morning and watch my 
Premier League game, and then usually around 11 a.m. or noon, I can watch a great Spanish League game, and then at 1.30, I can switch over and watch CBS, so I can watch the SEC football, you know, game of the week on CBS, you know, and then I can watch, yeah, I can switch back and forth, you know, I'll watch a Liga MX game, and then at night, I can watch, you know, Pac-12 Pac after dark, you know, I mean, it's like you can... There's two types of sports fans when it comes to people who watch TV. And right now, MLS is not even in that conversation. They're just not seen. They're just kind of seen as this offshoot kind of weird thing over here on the side. And I think American sports fans almost see it like that, too. It would be nice if it could come into focus a little bit better. And at least on a very positive thing that we should end with here, it's that this is not an acrimonious battle that we're hearing between the MLS and the uh, Major League Soccer's Players Association. This is like, well, we we understand the challenges and they've been working at it for quite some time to address each little hurdle. It obviously does come down to TV, but because it's such a young league in many respects and because it was set up in a time where there were so many less teams and now it's growing in the way that it's grown, these it's not concessions, just the way that the pie is divided up has to go under a bit of a microscope with careful consideration. And when they do this, you know, they have to share the numbers and the audits, you know, be fair about it. And everyone is saying that that's being done above board. You don't hear about that being the case in all sports. The the very best sports are all above the board, the leagues and their players association with what the expenses are. And and it's good to hear that nothing shady is going on uh, that anybody is like even talking about in this conversation, because that will make peace, harmony and a reasonable consideration no, for the other side. Something that happens. You're, you're totally right on that, because it is good to see that they at least everybody in the MLS, the players and the owners, and they all want the same thing. Right, because they are a growing league, um, they both want this league to grow and be successful. It's not already successful, right? In the NFL, it's a it's a it, you know it's a knife fight between owners and players all the time. They are truly on two different sides because there's so much money involved, you know, and and somebody's always getting the raw end of the deal. But with MLS, they're all like, well, we need we need more of a deal before we decide who has the the raw end of it. So yeah, you are right. I hate to say something so lame as their heart is in the right place, but it kind of is. And, 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 and I do think there are many great things about the MLS, like you said, the fan experience. And, and, and I think that comes through in the fact that fans see the teams and the players and everything with MLS is all one cohesive group. And that makes for loyalty. Uh, they just got to expand that pool. And, and loyalty with the fan base and loyalty with the people that are putting on the product. I mean, I, I've got to tell you, some of the most destructive times that I'd seen around professional sports was the era where I was covering a lot of hockey and the NHL and the NHL Players Association were just completely at odds in a realm that would be you know, fairly similar to the MLS, where it's not the greatest TV revenue coming in. And it just, just was like something where people would lose jobs oh, yeah. if they worked for the teams because the lockout would take place uh, the, you know yeah. and and or you know the, there would be just too much time where it just became such a problem for people who were trying to support the concept of no hey let's expand hockey to you know 
Phoenix let's support hockey in Nashville. Yeah, but I mean the NHL. I mean, the NHL is is you're right. They should look at the NHL and do the exact opposite because the NHL was on a great trajectory when I was a kid and when I was getting older and you know in the 90s it was like hockey was really making a huge impact and then because of labor disputes because of poor ownership management because of um maybe not even though i think gary bettman is a, is a smart guy I, I, you know they made some mistakes in expansion and and how they they played things out and yeah the mls needs to look at that and be like now is not the time to be greedy you know now is the time for us to go find out how to make more money and then let's figure out how to split it up. But yeah, the, the guys need to quit flying, you know, on coat in coach. <laughs> that, or I think that's or, one thing or we can the all short agree trips. On. It's it's like even for short trips where your seatbelt. The short trips, maybe that's what happens, but the cross country stuff, uh, let's help them out a little bit. And let's help out our listeners by encouraging them to subscribe to this program. If you're sampling it and you liked it, well, subscribe to this thing wherever you get your podcast. Sound System FC is the answer with Bo Byerly. I'm Lawrence Scott. Thank you so much for joining us here on Sound System FC.